Before we begin, I want to share a word that God gave me a few weeks ago during our Sunday morning service. And it's a word that he had on hold until this morning. And sometimes God does that. If you're, if you uh, are used to being used in the prophetic word or whatever, sometimes God simmers a word for a while. He percolates a word in you for a while. And it just sits. Until he says it's time. And that's what happened to me. And I know that this morning he wanted me to start this way. He just kind of totally yesterday, even though I've been prepared for a couple weeks, he totally yesterday turned things upside down for me and took me a different direction. And I had to redo everything because I knew he wanted this said. But the word that he gave me is from Psalms 24, 6. And the emphasis that he put it on, put on it as he spoke to me is on the word this. And he said very strongly into my spirit, he said, this is the generation of Jacob, of those who seek God. In Genesis 32, you will read the story of when Jacob wrestled all night with God. And it says that he wrestled, some translations will say he wrestled with the angel of the Lord, but most theologians will say this is a Jesus before he came in the flesh. This is a pre-incarnate Christ and that Jacob wrestled with him all night long. And we know that this is not a case of who was stronger. Because we know that one touch from Jesus and Jacob was crippled and marked in his thigh forever. So I don't know why God didn't do that at the beginning, but he did that at the end of the wrestling match. And he let Jacob wrestle with him all night long. And so this was a test, I believe, of what Jacob was made of. A revelation, first of all, to Jacob of his own heart. God revealed to Jacob and let him expose himself to him. Expose that he was a cheat, a swindler. That he was uh, one who had, was not honest in his spirit. But then God revealed the good. And he revealed who God saw that he was. And he renamed him contender with God. One who refuses to give up. One who refuses to quit. And now, and I want you to hear this not only with your physical ears, but with your spirit. This is a generation of God wrestlers. This is a generation of those who refuse to let go of God until He blesses them. Until He changes them and transforms them. Until He reveals to them the reality of who He is and His name. God is raising up this generation. And I'm talking to everybody that's alive together on this planet. God is raising up this generation as a generation of contenders who have power with God and with man and who will prevail. And I speak that in faith because I know that in reality, in the physical, this is a generation of passive quitters. But God is raising up a generation of contenders and it has to begin in the house of the Lord. And today the topic that we're going to talk about is contending for marriage, home, and family. And so I had to show off my family because our first ministry is our family and our first disciples are our children. I love our church family. 
I take very seriously our commitment to our church family. But I take our commitment to this family above all other commitments. Because if I lose my kids, if my grandkids, then I feel like I don't care if I've won millions to the Lord. If those in my household are not fulfilling their gifts and callings, are not serving God with all their whole heart, I feel like we've missed something. And I realize there are those of you who have been faithful to disciple your kids. And some of them have made wrong choices. So I'm not saying that to bring condemnation. But I'm saying that just like what Pastor said. It's never time to quit. It's never time to give up on your family and on your marriage, on your house, on on your children. And so we need, first of all, to ask God to help us be contenders. And that's where the decision comes in. You have to make a decision to contend. I know that today when I'm speaking here on the north side and as I go to speak on the south side, there will be people who feel like it's hopeless. They will feel like I've tried everything, I want to give up. And they have to make a decision today to contend. In the book of Nehemiah, if anybody had reason to give up, The people in that day had a reason. If you recall, they were disobedient. The children of Israel were disobedient. And God gave them over to their captors. And God gave them over to their enemy. And their homeland and all that they knew, even their houses of worship, were destroyed by the enemy. Their sacred things were taken. Their children were taken captive. But in Nehemiah, God called him to go back and rebuild the place of worship, the house of God. And if you look in Nehemiah chapter 4, and this scripture isn't up there, but it's a good one for you to um, look back at today. If you look at him, at what happens in Nehemiah chapter 4, the enemy comes in as Nehemiah is beginning to go back to Jerusalem, go back to rebuild the temple. And the enemy comes and ridicules what they're going, what they're going to try to do. He comes and he says, you're just weak, that you have no strength to do this, and the enemy comes and taunts them. And then in verses 14 and 15, in Nehemiah chapter 4, so you can look it up later, Nehemiah says to them, do not be afraid of the enemy. Earnestly remember the Lord and imprint him On your minds, great and terrible. I love that because God is great. The boy to his enemies, he's terrible. (laughs) And so he, he says, imprint him on your mind. He's great and he's terrible. And take from him courage to fight for your brethren, to fight for your sons, to fight for your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And it says, when our enemies heard that their plot was known to us and that God had frustrated their purpose. We returned everyone to work. And then in chapter, in verse 20, it, he goes on and he says, our God will fight for us. So it all started with their willingness. They had to make a decision. Okay, we're going to believe God instead of the voice of the enemy and we're going to raise up and we're going to fight for our wives, our children, our home and our family. And then when we do, who's the one that's really fighting once we've made the decision? It's really, in verse 20, it's really God backing us up when once we set our face, I'm not giving up. God comes and he fights for us and backs us up. 
I love the meaning of the word contend. I looked it up, you know, in good old dictionary.com. And I highlighted my favorite definitions. To contend with the enemy for control. You have to contend with the enemy for control of your own life, in the life of your, in the life of your marriage, in the life of your family, in the life of your children. To contend for first prize. I don't want some booby prize for my family. I want first prize. I want God's most excellent will, not just some second place or third place or what. I want God's most excellent will for my family. I want first prize. Not in your eyes or my eyes, but in God's eyes. I want him to be able to say, in your home, in your family, I'm pleased. And then I, I like that it says, as a definition, to contend against falsehood. Everywhere we look, we're surrounded by lies, false ideas, wrong thinking. And we have got to contend against falsehood against falsehood the enemy wants us to compromise with the thinking of this world but we've got to contend against falsehood we must decide that passivity is our enemy our world is a peace keeping not peacemaking there's a biblical difference but a peacekeeping passive world our world is a world of compromise with the enemy and that's not how we're going to accomplish God's purposes in our in our own self, in our home, in our family. Acceptance of whatever will be, will be, is a lie. And it's a deadly lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Whatever will be, will be with your kids, with your marriage, with your home, with your family, is a lie. Quitting is not an option. I just want you to Take a little bunny trail for one second here. Think of this. If anybody had a right to quit, I think it's Sarah. You know, Abraham's Sarah. Because about the first or second time my husband lied about me, and I ended up captive in some other kingdom because of my husband's lying, I think I would have said, you know what, I have every biblical right to get out of here because you are not doing things God's way. If she would have done that, there would have been no Jesus. There would have been no promise, no lineage for Jesus. But she trusted herself to God. And I love this because, you know what, when, it, when finally Isaac's conceived... Guess what God says in his word? He doesn't say, and after she was given captive, and then God protected her, and then finally Isaac's conceived. God doesn't say in his word, and God kept his promise to Abraham. Do you know what God's word says? Notice these little things. He says, and God kept his promise to Sarah. Because she didn't quit, she might have had every right to quit, but because she didn't quit, She became a part of what is our redemption. And I think that's something that we can, when we have every right to be offended at something our spouse does, when we have every biblical right to to, uh, be angry and bitter, don't quit. 
Don't quit. Now, the person that you most are going to have to contend with is yourself. You have to contend with yourself first. I can remember as a young wife, my husband worked uh, full-time in the evenings, and he went to school all day. And I was stuck home with my little girl and had no car. And about the only place there was to walk to was a little corner gas station where you could go and get a can of pop or a soda. And so I would get her in the stroller and we'd walk to the little corner gas station. And they had used books in there too, besides the pop. And then one day I found a book called Lord Change Me by Evelyn Christensen. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't like that book when I read it because... You know, I was already, you know, married only a year, but I was already building up my list of things of what he had done or hadn't done. You know, I had my file inside my mind, you know. Well, so far, he's really not scoring good on these areas, you know. But the Lord used that book to show me, you know, it's not my business. I'm my business. And my first thing has to be self, contend with self. And so I had to let God and give him permission by praying the prayer, Lord, change me to to show me the truth about me and show me the truth about my stubbornness and my coldness of heart and my willfulness. And then ask God to show you the truth about him. If you just show the truth about you without knowing the truth about him, you're going to get hopeless. But when you have the truth about you coupled with the truth about him, I mean, that's a dynamic combination because the truth about me is in me there's no good thing. But the truth in him is that he's altogether lovely and I'm clothed with Jesus. So when Father God looks at me, he sees me clothed with Jesus and he loves me just as much as he loves his son. And I have hope. So you must start with yourself. You cannot change anyone else but yourself. If your focus in your marriage, in your home, in your family is changing the other person, you will wallow in hopelessness and despair because you're trying to do an impossible thing. You must be willing to first contend in prayer for yourself. Lord, change me must be the cry of your heart. In Matthew 7, 3 through 5, you know this passage where God says, don't focus on the speck in your brother's eye. Focus on the log in your eye. The Lord really brought that home to me back when we were, I think it was when we pastored on the South Coast. We were associate pastors at a church in uh, North Bend, Oregon. And I remember in the newspaper was a little blurb in these small town newspapers. There's not a lot of news, so they put some funny things in there. But there was this little blurb about these kids who had been out shooting BB guns. And these kids accidentally shot just like on the Christmas Story movie, shot this kid in the eye with a BB gun. And the BB was lodged in his eye. And because they were afraid that they were going to get in trouble, they went home, instead of getting help and going to a grown-up who could take them to ophthalmologists and get the right help, they went home and with tweezers tried to remove the BB themselves. And of course, blinded the kid in that eye forever by their attempts to remove the speck in that kid's eye when we start trying to remove the speck in somebody else's eye instead of letting god who knows what he's 
doing do it, we make an awful, awful, sometimes irreparable mess. The vessel God's making of him isn't my business to tell God what to do. I like to try to be the Holy Spirit. I really do. You know, like the junior Holy Spirit, you know, you should do this, you should say this, you should think this, you should go here, you should go there. I really like to try to do that. But every time I do, you know what, it doesn't work out. But every time instead, I get on my knees and I literally say, almost daily, he's your vessel, my kids are your vessel, this person or that person that I'm having a problem with, they're your vessel, it's not my hands that, that are the hands of the potter. It's yours. So physically, sometimes I'll go like this. I take my hands off. And you, God, have your way. And you know what? It's amazing. When I do that, God works. And I see the desires coming of my heart coming to pass. But every time I get in there with my tweezers and try to deal with the BB in their eye, I make a big, ugly mess. So contend with yourself first. Contend with the right weapons. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 through 5 says that the weapons of our warfare are not flesh and blood weapons. But they're mighty spiritual weapons that God gives us to the pulling down of strongholds. And... Sometimes the weapons that God gives us seem like very unlikely weapons. They seem to not make sense. And one of the first weapons that God gives us to deal with things in relationships in the home and family is the weapon of humility. I love this song that has come out of International House of Prayer by Misty Edwards. And it goes like this. It's an inside outside, upside-down kingdom where you lose to win and you die to live. The way God does things is totally different than the way this world does things. In this world, you're taught fight for your rights at all costs. But God says, lay down your rights. And he gives us the example of his own son. Turn with me to Philippians Two, two through nine. I love this passage of scripture. Fill up and complete my joy by living in harmony and being of the same mind and one in purpose, having the same love, being in full accord and of one harmonious mind and intention. Now, so far, so good. Because if I said to you, do you want your home to be one in purpose, having the same love, being in full accord of one harmonious mind and intention, you would all say, of course I do. Well, then here's the key of how to get there. This is the part we don't like. (laughs) Do nothing from factional motives, through contentiousness, strife, selfishness, or unworthy ends. This is in verse 3. Don't do anything prompted by conceit and empty arrogance. Instead, in the true spirit of humility and loneliness of mind, let each of you regard the other as better than and superior to yourself. 
thinking more highly of one another than you do yourself. Let each of you esteem and look out and be concerned for merely, not merely your own interest, but the interest of the others. Let this same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility, who, though he was essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes of God, he did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. But he stripped himself of all dignity and rightful privilege, so as to assume the guise of a servant, a slave. And he became like men and was being... When was born a human being, and after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, because he stooped so low, God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So we're, we have to operate in the mind and humility of Jesus where we put the other person in our home, in our family, above our own desires and our own rights. Psalms 25 verse 9 promises that he leads the humble in what's right and the humble he teaches his way. I'm telling you, I know it with beyond a shadow of a doubt that you cannot be selfish and happy at the same time. You cannot be self-focused and happy at the same time. Some people are pursuing happiness and they will never find it because they're convinced it's in looking out for number one. But God will give you happiness when you have an attitude of a servant. Contend with the weapon of humility. Contend with the weapon of love. In Romans 14, verse 15 and 19, Paul talks about how when Jesus came, basically the laws, the food laws and stuff, they didn't have to go by those food laws and things anymore. But he said that there were some people who that bothered and they had a weak conscience. And so he said, if your brother has a weak conscience and you feel like you're at liberty to to eat whatever you want, but it bothers your brother, don't go waving your pork chop in front of your brother's nose and saying, you know, I have freedom to eat this pork chop and you don't, and be a stumbling block for your brother. So in this case, the law of love for my brother supersedes my personal freedom in Jesus. We need to operate like that in our family and in the church family. I know in our youth group, There's tons of kids, and probably even this house, that in their former life struggled in the area of drugs, struggled in the area of alcohol, come from a lot of alcohol abuse. So I could I could say, you know what, in Jesus I'm at liberty, and so cheers to you, I'm going to have a glass of wine with my dinner. But if I'm sitting across the table from one of these ones that that's going to be a problem for, the law of liberty supersedes my law, the law of love supersedes my law of freedom. So it's the same in my home and family. As a mom, as a dad, there might be stuff we had every right to do, but the law of love rules over the law of liberty. We think first on what's best for our spouse than for us. What's best for our kids than for us? 
the law of forgiveness. One of the most simple and the most powerful ways I have ever learned to pray is this simple way. When I go to the Lord in prayer, I say these words. Jesus, forgive me of whatever I'm confessing before him. And then I say, and give me your Holy Spirit help today to walk in forgiveness. So I receive your forgiveness, but I also receive your power to walk in forgiveness to others. Because you know, every day you're going to have to forgive. And every day it takes supernatural help to do it. Because your flesh doesn't want to forgive. Your flesh wants to hold grudges and keep files full of offenses. So daily, burn the files. Daily. So when you're praying, say, pray like that. Pray, I receive your forgiveness and your ability to be forgiving. I receive your love and your ability to be loving. Every day. Every day. That's a powerful weapon. Then I probably, you know, my most powerful weapon of all. I love the Word of God. And we need to contend with the weapons of the Word and prayer. You're going to get handed out a green sheet of paper. And this is scriptures that to pray over your children that I have taken. And I've taken the liberty of put them in words like I would pray them. They're the Word of God twisted turned into a prayer back to him. And so there's a green paper filled with that. And then you're also, this is this calendar of 31 things to pray over your kids. Now, the calendar is not original with me. It was on a wonderful blog that she gave permission to cop, to get that. But this is just, and these are just scriptures. But when you pray, you're praying the will of God and not your own I thinks whenever you're praying God's word. You know, it would be easy for me to pray my own I wants over the lives of my husband, over myself, over my kids. And But God wants me to pray his kingdom come, his will be done. So when I pray the word of God back to him over my kids, I am praying his perfect will. I have a Bible from when my kids were small, and I color-coded every scripture that I prayed over my kids in a, in a different color than all the other scriptures, so that when I flipped through my Bible, the things I prayed over my kids stood out to me. And in that same Bible is the time, the date when this daughter gave their life to Jesus, and the date when the next one gave their life to Jesus, and the date when their next one gave their life to Jesus, and then there's the date when they got baptized in water, each one, and then there's the date when each one got filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think those two things are separate from each other. I think the marked up scriptures that I prayed to God are very much connected to those dates in the back of the Bible. And I get, and it's, and you know what? I'm telling you, I want you to know, I don't take any pride in the fact that my kids are serving the Lord and my grandkids love Jesus. I'm telling you, we made stupid, stupid, stupid mistakes in our marriage and with our kids. Things I would go back and say different, do different. But the one thing I know that we did right, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we asked God for His grace to cover our mistakes. 
And I believe he did. There's things that I remember that I said and did. And my kids think, like, what? And I'm thinking, oh, thank you, God. Your grace covered that and they don't remember. (laughs) So use the word as your guide. Pray in the spirit. If you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God gave you that heavenly language. So you can pray when you don't have any wisdom to pray. And I thank God for that. Pray in the spirit. I don't know why this, but it's happening now with my grandkids. When they're babies, can't understand what you're saying. You know, everything you say is gibberish to them. And so, for some reason, from the time Jen was in a in a high chair and I was feeding her, whenever I'd start to feed her, all of a sudden would well up within me my prayer language, and I would just start praying out in the spirit as I'm feeding her, and I'd sing in the spirit as I'm feeding her. And I find myself now that's happening with my granddaughter. I don't know why that. happens at that particular time but it's just like all of a sudden it just bubbles up out of me when I'm with the babies well two summers ago we're at the church camp out and it's Malachi's turn to sleep in our tent with us and him and I are in there getting settled down for the night and he looks at me and he says Nana some people when they sing at church they sing like this and off he goes in this and I'm thinking he's he's four years old I don't think he's been filled with the Holy Spirit, so has he just heard it enough that he's really, really good at copying or what? But I mean, it's bubbling out as he's singing. And I'm thinking, is this real? But I just started right along with him and started singing in the Spirit. You know what? If if it is copying, what a good thing to copy. (laughs) Pray with true spiritual insight, not fleshly manipulation. It's wrong to pray fleshly manipulation. That's entering into a spirit you don't want to mess with. When you're praying, I'm going to pray that my husband does this because I want him to. I'm going to pray that my kid does that because I want him to. Don't pray fleshly manipulation. Pray God's will and his word. And then pray with persistence. Luke 18, the story of the little widow who wouldn't let the judge go until he heard her cry. And then God comes and, he, and Jesus comes and says, you know, how much more will God come and readily hear you and readily defend you and readily bring you justice? And so, you know, pray with persistence. Never, never, never give up. Never give up praying for that, your marriage, your home, your family, your kids. I love... Ethel's testimony on how married to her unsaved husband, what, 45 years uh, uh, Mrs. Isabel was married. And one day she comes home from work and he says, you're never going to guess what I did today. And she says, what? And he goes, out in my garage today I asked Jesus to be my Lord. That's a lot of persistence. You know, I would have thought... Five or ten years was a lot of persistence. But 45 years, that's a lot of persistence. But you know what? When you know it's God's will, you can keep going. I knew it was God's will for Jim to have a baby. There was no doubt in my mind. So every day together, him and I would knock on that door. You know, there's, when you know it's God's will, you, when you know it's supported by his word, don't give up till the answer comes. 
So contend with those weapons, the weapon of humility, the weapon of love, the weapon of forgiveness, the weapon of the word and prayer, and the weapon of persistence. Never, never, never give up. Winston Churchill, that was his speech to a graduating class of students. His whole speech was that. Never, never, never give up. And there's a lot of wisdom in those simple words. Then you can contend with assurance, with confidence. God has already promised you some things. So you can contend with confidence that you're contending for the right things. For instance, you can contend with absolute confidence that it's God's will for you and your household to be saved. If if you care about a person, God cares even more. So everybody on your heart that you're continuing to come to the Lord and to walk in the fullness of obedience to Him, you can pray with confidence that it's His will. God, it's Your will that Your Word not depart out of my mouth or at out of the mouth of all my descendants, all till, the, till you come again, all through my bloodline, that not one be lost. I pray that over all our, our family on my husband's side and my side, Lord, that not one be lost. You know, and uh, I started with my mom. Breaking, we have, there's seven of us kids. My mom had seven kids, so I put seven days a week, and I put down each one of her kids and each one of their kids and now grandkids and now great-grands and all that, so that one day a week she's praying for all the descendants of each of her seven kids. So God's will is that your whole household be saved. And you know what? In our household now, and my mom's, and you, I, I take a whole other sermon to tell you the story of my broken family and the mercy and grace of God to my mom. But... I only have one sibling that has yet to t- surrender to Jesus and almost all my nieces and nephews. God is always working. He's doing great things. And God, so it's God's will for your family to be saved. And it's God's will for your family to be blessed. I just love this. Love it. Love that the Word of God gives me assurance that it's His will that my family be blessed. Galatians says that Jesus became a curse for me so that the blessings of Abraham could be mine. You know, if you read Deuteronomy 28, you can read the blessing and the cursing, and you can get really depressed about the cursing part, you know. But if you love Jesus, he took the curse for you on the cross. And because of that, the blessings of Abraham are yours. So I encourage you, look up the blessings of Abraham. I listed some of them here. All the blessings that their, his children would multiply and influence the world and be a blessing all over the world. These are the promises for your children. That your children, your descendants, be a blessing to the nations is God's will. And so pray these blessings of Abraham over your home, over your family, over your kids. God's will is for your family to be mighty in his kingdom. It is God's will that your kids, your descendants, possess the gates of your enemies. That's God's word. And then you can contend with confidence because God has everything you need to contend for your family. God's word says in 2 Peter 1, 3, he's given you everything you need for this life and for godliness. 
everything that you need for a godly marriage, everything you need for a godly home, godly family, godly kids, godly grandkids, God will equip you with. He has everything you need. So I encourage you, make sure you pick up your scriptures and start today. Choose today. I will not accept life as it comes to me. I will not accept whatever comes my way in my marriage. I will not accept whatever comes my way for my kids, for my grandkids. I will not accept, just lay back and accept whatever comes my way. God has a most excellent plan. A most excellent plan. And I'm telling you, it just gets better and better. It just gets better and better. If you think there weren't times we wanted to give up on each other, on life, on church, on kids, don't be fooled to put on that religious faith that there's times that you don't feel that way too. Where you don't wake up and look at yourself and think, I don't feel love. I don't feel warm and fuzzy. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. God is a God when your love runs out. Which it will. Your love only has a small little length to it. He pours His love in you and flows it out of you for your family, for your spouse, for your kids. starts with a decision. Will I be a contender or a quitter? Your decision. To deal with you first. Instead of the speck in your family's eye. Deal with yourself first. And it starts with a decision for you to pick up those weapons God has given you to fight with and to use them. Let's pray.